0: Welcome back to the Circle Change podcast on the final weekend of the season. Uh, how, how excited are you right now, Teo?
1: I am so pumped! I could barely sleep last night. I'm so excited to be doing this and in person. Handshake. I
0: know this. This is this is a special moment for me as well to be able to recover Teo in person. And uh, I mean, this has just been an amazing season. And uh, I think we'll we have a lot of drama in store for us over the next 48 hours. Yes,
1: it's, I mean, it's been tremendous. I think everybody's competing for something important at this point, Uh, you know, just keeping a little pride. And then obviously at the front, we have one of the most amazing contests I've ever seen in in Roto. Really, really excited about that. Speaking of which, uh, this is a special podcast because Chris and I are recording in person for the first time this season. We are also joined by our current league leader, H to the Rizzo. I'm going to play a little pump up music for him. just an amazing year, started from the bottom, I made an incredible draft, really consistent strategy. It's great to have you here.
2: Andrew Wesley, H to the Ritow, welcome to the studio. Nice to see you. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Thanks for letting me uh, crash your special moment, crash your party.
1: I can't imagine it without you. How are you feeling right now? Did you get any sleep last night? Uh,
2: I tried to get a little bit of sleep. Uh, you know, I, when I couldn't sleep at, at 1 o'clock in the morning, I just turn on a few great sports movies, uh, Miracle, Rudy, Friday Night Lights, Rookie of the Year, and finally Talladega Nights, because if you ain't first, you're last. That's a lot of
1: movies. Did, were you split-screening them, or did you watch them in success? Oh, yeah, I have five TVs. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Um, so I guess we can start by looking at the standings. I mean, that's where all the excitement is.
0: Yeah, so uh, right now, uh, H the Rizzo and uh, tight, 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 that's Brad, are tied for first at 89 points, and then uh, hanging in the weeds is is Teo at 87.5, so top three teams within a point and a half. That's the best race I think I've ever seen in any fantasy league I've ever done before. Um, Andrew, you've played in a lot of fantasy leagues, have you ever been in a league like this before? Uh, so this is the only
2: Roto League I've ever been in, hmm. uh, and... I mean, this has just been nerve-wracking, exciting. I don't know what to think sometimes, uh, but this has just been an awesome race, awesome
0: season. So, just just before we go for, forward with the other teams, um, how, how have you liked roto? Is this something you're going to keep doing?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I, in a roto league and a head-to-head league, um, I like having the balance of the two. But as I shared with you guys, after being shafted a little bit in a head-to-head league, I just much prefer the roto style. Uh, in determining who really is the, the best team out there. And just for context, uh, we were discussing this before the podcast.
1: Andrew was in first place all season long in his head-to-head league uh, and then got eliminated in round one because he, he had a cold week, and that, and that's sort of the end of it. So ongoing discussion we have here on the podcast about head-to-head versus Rota, but to me that's a strong argument in favor of, of Rota.
0: Absolutely. Um, in fourth place right now, we have Ken Cameroniti at 82 points. Uh, a, a good season for Cameroniti. I think he'll be a little disappointed to probably finish outside the money, but a, a good showing, and uh, I'm sure he'll come back strong next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, fifth place, we have the Justice League, who uh, led the league for most of the year, but as soon as Hakus got cold, uh, the Justice League got cold. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, this is a, this was a team that finished in last place last year, so. Even finishing in fifth place, maybe maybe getting fourth ahead of Cameroniti—that's still possible. A really strong season for the Justin Le- Justice League, and uh, you know, he, he proved he proved a lot of us wrong this year. He made a brilliant trade with Mark Hakus. Um He's just going to turn up just short of the money this year, but you know, happy to see Turner in fifth place.
1: It's been a remarkable season for the Justice League, and I, I like you know I like both of these teams because, uh, as I say, Cameron in the past has been like a really pitching heavy manager. Um, and this year he invested heavily in offense. He made a lot of very smart picks. Um, but also I think the justice league without maybe intending to executed a really good strategy, which is to, you know, um, pretty much go with the rankings in the draft. Don't outsmart yourself, uh, you know, do something, uh, get a well-rounded team together and then he made a very controversial trade. It was based on clear value that was right in front of them, uh, and you know, for me, I, I objected strenuously at first because the reputations are so different. But end of the day, that that didn't really matter. So it was a smart move.
0: Uh, just a message from Justice League: uh, If you listen before tomorrow, uh, put Mookie Betts in your lineup. He's a good player. I see that he's <laughs> on your bench right now.
1: That's good advice. Maybe he was benched last night or something because the Red
0: Sox don't. Spent- it's possible, but uh, yeah, put put him in for the final game of the year. I think Mookie will uh, close with the bank, yeah, for sure. Uh, in sixth place, Bryce's rights. I think a disappointing year for him. What do you think, Tao?
1: Well, uh, you know, he. I'm sure he was aware of the risks he took in the draft. We we talk about his draft a lot. I think when it was work, when his strategy was working, he was a very viable contender for the lead. And look at look at the lead right now. We have H to the Rizzo in the lead with you know, kind of light point scoring on the pitching side, and he just nailed all the offensive categories. That was going to be the Bryce's right. So you can win that way. But I think, you know, for H to the Rizzo, uh, for Andrew, sorry, uh, that would, you know, that was sort of an unintended result. Um You didn't punt pitching categories to start, and uh Dan clearly did. He took a lot of risk there. So... I think it shows it's it's strong evidence for you know wanting to build a well-rounded team. Don't punt a single category. Try to score points everywhere you possibly can. I wouldn't say this is a disappointing season though. I think this was uh, you know one of the possible outcomes, and all things considered, a pretty good finish for him.
0: The Bryce is right with 55 quality starts for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to put that in perspective, tight, tight, tight has 118. So yeah, yeah. That's that's where it, where it all went wrong, definitely. That's tough.
1: Um, but he's definitely, you know, he's a smart, Dan is a smart game player. I, I think he came in with a really clear game plan this year. Uh, I don't think baseball is really his sport. I think he just, he's really good at like playing the game of fantasy. And uh, I, I like what he did this year. But, uh, you know, cool thing, just to recap all these names so far, we're looking at like three definitive clusters. You've got, I think, to be fair, tight, 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 makes the Rizzo one of these teams, or maybe both, are going to be our winners this year. Um, and I'm sort of in that cluster, but but not a viable champion at this point with two games to play. Um, and then you've got a cluster for fourth place, uh, a cluster for sixth place. That's really neat. I like that um, everybody's playing for something here. You don't just have a bunch of teams that have given up in the last couple of weeks.
0: Um, all right. Well, in that uh, middle of the middle of the road cluster is R.I.P. O.J.S. O.G.S. with uh he's in seventh place, seventy-two points right now. He's only a half point back if Bryce is right. And if you can overtake him on the final weekend of the season, uh, he'll be in the top half of the league, which I think is definitely something to fight for. Um, it's been a, it's been an up and down year for Ben, but uh, it's been great to have him back in the league. Um, I think at the beginning of the year, we, we predicted he would be a bit of a, a villain. It didn't really come to fruition so much, but it's good to have him back in the league, and I, I hope he wants to join us again next year. Yeah, me too. I, I think uh, you know
1: Ben just got a little bit unlucky, but I think it's a really interesting uh, point complexion for, for RIP OGS. I mean, uh, getting stolen bases and, uh, uh, and OBP and having great numbers across the board in pitching, um, that's definitely that. That's a strategy, uh, speaking to you right there.
0: Um, in eighth place, figure Philberts, uh, seventy-one points right now. I I, I got to say I was expecting a, a higher finish this year for figure Philbert. He's a really savvy fantasy manager. I know he takes it as seriously as any of us, even if we don't hear from him on the message boards quite as much. But uh, still with a chance to finish in that sixth place range. So. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's been one of the strongest competitors the last couple of years, and I think he'll be a threat to, to move into the top three next year, um, but always good to have Mark Tribbett in the league, and uh, you know, better better luck next year, Mark.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't really think Mark needs luck, he's had two consecutive very strong seasons, and I think... You know, his finish here isn't indicative of his strategy not working out. It just shows the level of competition in in this league. It's very tight. But, you know, I think if we really looked under the hood at the numbers, you'd see that he's, all things considered, not that far from being in second or third place. Um, So another
0: good year. Uh, And then uh, I'm in ninth place, Tukey time. Um, It's been a very disappointing year for me. I was telling the guys earlier that I haven't been above eighth place all year, even in the first days of the season so um, you know I, I can see where I need to improve for for, for next year somehow I'm 200 innings behind the the uh, the maximum here so something went wrong there uh, just got a bunch of disappointing seasons I have a bunch of players that i was expecting more out of and made a couple trades that I maybe shouldn't have made in hindsight but uh, I've been following every every single day throughout the year and I'm hoping to hold on to ninth place to stay ahead of team Prince and the uh, fr- friend of the pod and Glaber. So uh, disappointing year, but it's, it's been fun to be a part of it. So I guess that's all I have to say about that.
1: I mean, I I think, so I, I got Aaron Nola and Alex Bregman off you. And I think in retrospect, that, that trade was, you know, clearly my, I clearly, I won that trade without meaning to, but, uh, you know, these are players that you drafted. You invested in those players. Right. So I think on some levels, your strategy worked really, really well. Uh, I'm curious, you know, how you feel about your draft in retrospect, if you're planning to do anything differently next year. you mind if we talk about that
2: real quick?
0: No, I mean, well, I think I've mentioned this before, that my, my big mistake in the draft, I think, was drafting Wilson Contreras in the fifth round. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's taught me to not put so much... Faith into the catching position. Uh, I mean, any number of catchers without the the big name reputation put up similar stats to Contreras this year, and I I feel like I really wasted that. You know, fiftieth pick overall Uh, could have gotten another starting pitcher or you know somebody who can contribute in a bunch of categories. But the top of my draft, I went Altuve, Syndergaard, Bregman, Nola. I mean, that I feel like that was a pretty strong one through four. Um, And I don't know. I mean, I think I look at the back end of my draft, and I don't. Aaron Hicks is still on my team, using my nineteenth pick, but pretty much nobody from sixteen on ended up on my team throughout the year. So yeah. that's, you know, most of you guys at the top of the top of the league found value in those later picks, and I just struck out on a bunch of these guys. So um, I think next year I'll, I should have a better strategy for the back end of my draft. Can you expand real quick on the Wilson Contreras pick? What were you trying to do there? What were you hoping for? Well, I was hoping that Contreras was going to hit, you know, twenty-five to thirty home runs, uh, have a high on-base percentage. I mean, last year he was twenty-one home runs, seventy-four RBIs, on-base percentage three fifty-six, and he's a young player. I was thinking maybe he would take another step forward this year and uh, really become a superstar at the position, um, the, the kind of player that's it's worth a fifth-round pick for the cat. I thought. You know, there might be two or three catchers in the league throughout the year who are really worthy of a high draft pick. I was expecting Gutierrez to make that next step this year. But, I mean, he went from 21 home runs to nine home runs, 74 RBIs to 52 RBIs. Mm -hmm. And he played 20 more games than he did last year. I mean, he did did that 21 home runs in only 117 games last year. So I was just really surprised to see him take a step back this year. Um, If memory serves, he did a lot. You know, so he had – Fewer overall games last season, but he also hit
1: all those home runs in a fairly short stretch of time. Yeah, memory serves definitely. Andrew, what do you think about the catcher position?
2: Uh, I feel like I've been burned in the past as well, which Mm -hmm. has kind of been now has backed me off of of investing those early picks in uh, in that position. if things had worked out with Contreras this year, you know, who would have seen this coming, right? I mean, you're you could have been in much better standing, right, if that guy just knowing the the scarcity of the position, if he had hit that twenty five to thirty home runs and been a cog in the middle of that dangerous Cubs order, your season could look a whole lot different, and we could be having a much absolutely conversation.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm just looking at the top catchers this year throughout the league, and JT Real Muto – who's the 136th ranked player in fantasy is the top catcher. So that should tell you something right there. He had 21 home and 74 RBIs, which are the exact stats that I just quoted for Contreras last year. Mm-hmm. And then Yasmedi Grandel was number two. He had 24 home and 68 RBIs. He's the 137th ranked player. And then the third ranked catcher was Gadir Molina. Amazingly. He was the 228th ranked player in fantasy right now. And he's 88% owned, which is crazy. And, uh, you know, that's just, I think that ref- reflects how the position is is going these days. Yeah, I mean, we don't Buster Posey kind of turned things around for a while. He was a very early pick for many years, but I, I, <laughs> I mean, Gary Sanchez had a really disappointing year. I think we all expected a lot more out of him. Mm-hmm. So if he would have maybe given us the season we would have expected, perhaps he could have been a, a top two or three round quality player, but. From what I'm looking at here, I don't see why anybody should draft a catcher, you know, within the first 10 rounds next year. What do we do with Gary Sanchez next season? Where do you expect him to be ranked? I mean, I think he'll he'll still be ranked, you know, in the top 100 players. Uh, I mean, it's easy to see a bounce back here for a player who's that talented. But at the same time, I could see another really... You know, a really big struggle for him again. It's kind of a boom-and-bust type player, one that you wouldn't want to invest a high draft pick in, but you would take a shot on him maybe in the eighth or ninth rounds. It doesn't take many players, in
1: my experience, it doesn't take many managers in a draft scenario to, you know, feel that way about a player before he's like, the price has gone up by 30 picks or something. I mean, I, especially if, uh, you know, the Yankees go deep in the postseason and Gary Sanchez has something to do with that, he will, I could see him being in a top five round pick next season. And I think like the catcher thing is super interesting because that is the one position where you can truly say right now, this is scarce. You're not gonna get stats here. If you can find, if you can find a credible strategy for getting more stats than anybody else out of your catcher slot, then that's the way you could win your league. But also, like, the goods in that category are just hard to trust.
0: Right, and I think even like two or so years ago, the position didn't seem so scarce. So maybe this is just a down year for for catchers, but from from what I'm seeing, I mean, Francisco (coughs) Mejia, I think, has the potential to be a really top flight fantasy catcher Mm -hmm. but it's hard for me to see any of these players you know in the top 20 catchers, really having it moving forward because a lot of them are older players who are probably on the on the downslope for their careers i mean real muto moves to a better ballpark for hitters i think he could see his his standing improved considerably but i'm I'm not going to trust molina anymore gaddis salvador perez francisco cervelli i just I, i don't know if Sanchez is back, then that's that's one thing. But I don't know. It's You're just going to
1: go out of your way for any of those. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, what is this phenomenon? Is this uh, the importance of pitch framing in the in the new analytics era?
0: I think I think yeah. There's a lot to that, I'm sure, um, because we've seen a lot of these catchers who are excellent framers. Uh, you know, valued for that because of all these this, these new numbers. Maybe a few years ago that we wouldn't have seen that. So. I definitely think that's a big part of it.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I can't think of any other reason to draft spend so much draft capital on a catcher unless you're playing in a two-catcher league, which if you're playing in a two-catcher league, you shouldn't be doing yeah, it.
1: Yeah, seriously, <laughs> I can't believe that still exists. I think that's the default for ESPN
2: leagues, still. I know. Mean, um, yeah, I think it is too, which is yeah, just is. such a mistake. It's such so it's
0: a travesty.
1: Um I... We're going to move on in a second, but I heard something very interesting on a, another podcast recently, uh, concept of drafting a team with no catcher and just, so you don't even draft a catcher, maybe you stream a couple here and there, but you actually take the capital you would have invested in the catcher and get a, another really good offensive piece or maybe a, a middle relief guy. What do you think about
0: that? I can't see myself. Using that strategy, but I'd be interested to see somebody else try it and see what happens. Uh, sounds a little too outside of the box for, for me, especially having you know an in the, in the eighth or ninth place finish this year. Trying to get back to you know back to the basics. I don't think I would do that next year, but I'd be interested to hear.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that strategy really only seems viable if you were planning on spending an early pick on a catcher. Right. That's to, that Talk about the replacement. I mean, I my team this year. I drafted Yasmani Grandal in the second to last round, and it, I don't necessarily wouldn't say that I saw this coming. But if I lost twenty four home runs and sixty eight RBI off my counting stats, mm-hmm. I just don't know if you can make up that difference by saying so. Like just because you have a better bench player for another position that you can fill in, mm-hmm. I don't know unless your strategy was drafting somebody in the fifth round or not drafting right. somebody. Well, I mean, for me, like,
1: I've, I've heard it and had the same reaction. I was like, that's, you just outsmarting yourself at that point. Um, but my strategy for catcher this year was, you know, if Sanchez passes me by, and I expect he will, um, I will not go out of my way for any catcher. And I ended up taking Jorge Alfaro in one of the final rounds. Like, there's not a huge difference at that point between just saying, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to, I'm going to, watch a few games, see who's playing well, pick up a catcher, wait for them to cool off and then play that game all season long. It's really not that bad. Like I feel like I've always been able to get something out of catcher without investing a ton in it. And there's, you know, at this point with the players being so bad, you make the case that you don't need to invest anything. You just wait and see what happens.
0: Well, I think this is an interesting topic, and I'll be very curious to see how it plays out in the draft next year. Yeah. Um, for sure. But you, you want to move on and, and go through the rest of our teams here? Um, we have Team Prince in 10th place right now at 39 points. Um, been a tough year for Team Prince. Hasn't made a lot of moves this year, uh, but always good to have him involved. And uh, I don't know, looking at his team, uh, what, what do you think went wrong for him, Teo? Uh, too
1: much speed. Yeah, um, you know, I think Trey Turner has been better than I than I thought he would, but also like, you know, he's twenty. He's ranked twenty fourth. I mean, there were people drafting Trey Turner second overall this season. Right, which is just insane. Um, but you know, he really went for speed across the board. He's got your Moncada uh, uh, Anderson from Tim Anderson from uh, the White Sox. Um, Trey Turner. Uh, and then he's offsetting that with, you know, one really big power bat in Giancarlo Stanton. But in general, it doesn't look like he really balanced that early speed collection very well. Like, if you're going to spend early picks on speed players and then just sort of populate your lineup in general with players that um, contribute in that category, you've got to make sure you're picking up the power bats that are available later.
2: Yeah. Uh, I will say... And I know you can't build a team around two players, but Trey Turner fell pretty far in our league. He was drafted 18th, which was probably a steal. And coupling him with Giancarlo, after yeah. those two picks, I thought the league was over. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even yeah. kidding. Of, you think Giancarlo going to Yankee Stadium, you have this grand allure of hitting 60 home runs and Trey Turner stealing 60 bases. You've got yourself pretty like pretty evenly stacked across the, the, the hidden categories in our league.
1: That's a very good point. I remember you made that remark during the draft, and I was I was like, oh shit, yeah, you're right. That was that was genius. Uh, I still think Turner is not a viable first round player, but uh, seeing him go that late, like at some point, everybody becomes a value.
0: And uh, Team Prince, his pitching stats pretty awful. I mean, four point forty eight ERA. Uh, that's a pretty high. ERA for thirteen hundred and forty eight innings, so I think next year working, you know, focusing on balancing out the offensive categories like you're saying, and getting some pitchers who can just lower that ERA and WHIP a little bit. I mean, I don't, you never see a team in the top three that that really bombs on on ERA and WHIP. I feel like those are usually good indicators of you know a manager who's on top of things throughout the year. So. Yeah, I mean a lot a lot of stuff comes with that. You know, if uh
1: ERA and WIP were low, they probably invested early in pitching and you've got K's and quality starts to show for it as well. I mean, you know, if you're it's a it's a really competitive environment. You've got at least one pitcher for 70% of the managers in the 12 team league who are gonna get a starting pitcher who goes over 200 innings, ERA going below three, possibly going below two. If you're anchoring your rotation with Zach Frankie, no offense—I mean, he's, he's been very good. It's gonna—you're gonna—you're out of that game from the very beginning. And across the board
0: here, there's just
1: not a lot of um,
0: really good run
1: suppression specialists.
0: Uh, and then in eleventh place, we have friend of the pod. A lot of things went wrong for friend of the friend of the pod this year, but uh, I, I feel like his success will always be tied to that trade at the very beginning of the year where he. You put it, put it all in for Gary Sanchez. And although Kershaw didn't have the year that we've expected, or you know that he's had in, in the past several years, Sanchez just was so much, you know, struggled all year. And I, I just feel like that is just a symbolic of of friend of the Pods team. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of problems
1: with this team, unfortunately, but the, um, the, the trade definitely backfired. You know, it could have backfired on both. That was uh, there was an interesting stretch there where it was like, "Wow, I mean, those players just cancel each other out." Yeah, yeah.
0: But he has some good young players. I mean, yes. he, he got Glaber, he got Anduhar. Um, I, I think that you know Pat fl- follows baseball as closely as any of us, mm-hmm. and uh, he'll he'll be the first to say that you know he made some big mistakes this year. But I I'm pretty confident that he will be. Much more competitive next year, and uh, you know, even if even though he's been down in ten, eleven place all year, he still follows the fantasy league very closely, and uh, you know, comments on on our podcast. So he's a great guy to have in the league. Just hope things get a little better for him next year. Yeah, I mean, I understand why
1: he's tuned out at this point, but you can see like this, the roster looks like it hasn't been. Uh give him any attention who's playing. He's the pick Gary Sanchez and Brandon Bell about the deal. Right. I think, you know, in general, I love I love having Patrick in the league because he has a really go big or go home, just like defy expectations at every turn. Uh, and two years ago, I think it was two years ago, he almost won. Like, he was yeah. very competitive because his big bets paid off. So, you know, this is a player who could be in the bottom half of the league next year, you can see that happening if he doesn't make major adjustments, but also like his lottery ticket style will give him a championship every, every few years.
0: Definitely agree with that. Uh, And then we have the unfortunate uh, Glaber hardly knew her. Mm -hmm. Um, This, this is uh, your friend, Teo. as you said much about the the league this year or or what went wrong for him?
1: No, I mean, I think, I think Mm -hmm. Rook, you know, wants to be in the league. He listens to all the podcasts. Like, he's he's a good citizen in a lot of ways, but I think he's a little overstretched. He is in a couple keeper leagues and, um, you know, just hasn't invested a ton in in this league. So, you know, I think it would have been a different story if he got a hot start and, and was in the middle of the pack. But I think once he touches rock bottom, he kind of tunes out, and I think there's a lot of like inactive players, a lot of empty roster spots. Like
0: he's not he's not trying. He
1: hasn't been trying for for a couple months.
0: Well, it's it's a it's a good roundup of the of the league standings for the year, and uh, just a really strong league, top to bottom. Uh, a lot of a lot of good people in the league, and uh, good participation throughout the year. Uh, it's just been a pleasure to be involved with it. So good stuff. And, you know, I think that the standings might still might look a little different by the end of the day tomorrow. So we'll see. Amazing.
1: I, am we're going to keep coming back to this, how incredible it is that two days of games left, we have a tie in the first place. It's so cool. And how many, like, I mean, how much turnover have we had and how many leaders have we had at various points? I think it's got to be like 10, 15 changes that Yeah, well, I know we've had
0: leagues before where just one team, I remember a couple years ago was at Bryce's right, was like wire to wire winner, and uh, that's never fun for for the rest of the league because it's just like an unstoppable force. It just just feels so, I don't know, it almost feels like what's the point sometimes, but this league this year, I mean, yeah, we had Cameronidi making a strong charge at one point, we had Justice League in the league for probably like half the season or so. just we, we keep saying it, but it's just been one of the most exciting year, years of for fantasy baseball. Yeah, I love this. I mean, this, this actually looks like MotoGP.
1: What MotoGP has turned into <laughs> these the overtakes. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and that's just in the first month and a half of the season. Um, and then over time, yeah, these like the pack consolidates. Uh, and you have tons
0: of well, so. When is that? When when really everything kind of starts to separate uh, here?
1: Yeah, I think that's June.
0: June. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, that's, interesting. That's the right there. Yeah. So we're looking at the um the, the chart that has the standings throughout the year. and Right around June 9th or so, things start to break into two distinct groups. So. Very. if you, if you guys, I, I didn't actually know about these, these graphs that you can access through the standings page on, on the Yahoo! website, but really interesting. Uh, I bet you won't find too many fantasy leagues that look like that. Yeah, definitely. And it's such a diversity of, like, of strategies,
1: that's what I like about it. Like, the, at the top of our league right now, we have pitching versus hitting, essentially. Two people who have arrived at the same point with completely different strategy,
0: completely different style. Um, that's just so sort of cool. And yeah, just one more thing. It's it's funny looking at me and the Team Prince have been kind of you know following the same path through almost all all the year. Just yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. You guys should check it out. Yeah, Team Prince, by the way, is uh, you know is
1: hitting buttons that affect the top. I think he's like in runs and stolen bases and stuff like that. Like he is going, potentially going to decide. Our destiny. Um, that's, that's super interesting.
0: All right. Well, let's uh, move on to uh, second part of the pod. And uh, Tayo, I think you have some questions for our H to the Rizzo. Yes. Uh, so
1: I have a lot of questions. I've tried to whittle it down, but uh, you know, I would love to hear from Andrew because I think you give a lot of thought to your strategy and your management throughout the season. And you're also just a huge, huge baseball and Yankee fan. So. Um,
2: Let's talk about uh, what went right for you this year. I think what went right clearly was just on on the hitting side. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking at my team now and I just think back that I really don't have a ton of turnover on the the hitting side of my roster. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a few misplacements, so shortstop, uh, I've had a few different guys put in there, but catcher, I've had Grandal all year, Rizzo, uh, my infield, Rizzo, Jose Ramirez, Whit Merrifield, uh, Matt Carpenter, uh, my outfield, Yellick, Kane, Schwarber, Acuna, uh, I will give a shout out to Eddie Rosario, who <laughs> was on my team the entire year. I dropped him when they said he wasn't going to be playing nice. anymore. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just inconsistency and, and a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the pitching side, you're, my team is very uh, hitting friendly this year, Uh mm-hmm. The pitchers that I invested in heavily didn't pan out, uh, but I caught some luck uh, just with guys outperforming, uh, guys that I was able to pick up, um, and then uh, probably a pretty significant trade uh, that we made uh, earlier in June.
0: Now, let me ask you, um, you you mentioned Christian Christian Yellick. Did you foresee this big step forward he took this year? Uh, I think this is what... You know, for the last several years, everybody was saying, you know, well, one day Christian Yelich is really going to be an MVP quality player. And, I, I, you know, I watched him a lot on the Marlins, and I always thought he was a really good hitter, but I didn't quite see this coming. Yeah. Did this surprise you at all?
2: What he's doing in this second half, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, I thought
2: that, I mean, he had a pretty solid first half. He was injured for the first couple weeks of the season, um, but he was a, a solid player and probably on pace to uh, beat most of his – hitting standards that he had set for the first couple of years of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I thought that in a, in, you know, a perfect world, he hit for a little bit more power and kind of find that power stroke, just being in a, in a better hitter's park. Uh, but I can't say that I predicted. He's, I think he's the number six player in the player ranking right now. He's going
0: to be a first-round pick next year. That's my prediction.
2: Oh, old cold call. You know, I, right? I think I agree with you. I don't know how – I, Taylor and I had this conversation a couple weeks ago that they're – like the, the Nolan Arenados guys, which is crazy to say, because that guy hits for over three hundred every year. Now, maybe in a in a on base percentage league, he'd knock that down just a, a tad. Um, but it yeah, would call him a two seventy hitter, equivalent yeah. of a two seventy. Consistent power, consistent RBI numbers, runs scored. But there are so many guys that have made that jump uh, that are. Uh, producers in all five categories, there's like eight or nine of those guys that are probably going to be the first eight or nine picks next year. Uh, and I think that Yellick could be one of them. Uh, just if you look at his fan graphs, like uh, some of the things that really jump off the page are just his home run to fly ball rate. Last year was at 15.3%. This year, 33.7. Mm. Uh, his hard hit, his hard hitting percentage, uh, 472 up from thirty five point two. So wow. that's a big He's thing. hit the ball pretty hard this year. Um, but I think the, the home run of fly ball now is that sustainable? I don't know, but maybe he's just found it. Where's his fly ball rate compared to last year? Lower. Wow. He was it twenty five point two last year, twenty three point huh. three this season? And ground balls? Ground balls are lower, fifty five point four last year, fifty one point seven this year. So it's still no. Yeah. I just, I don't know what happened to him. Maybe he just caught fire. Maybe it's just a streak. Maybe it's the ballpark. Maybe it's all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that I think I found my team name for next year, actually. Uh, I was watching SportsCenter this morning. Uh, So actually pretty cool. Yellick's brother was at the game last night. He's in the Marines. Hasn't seen him play in four years. He went yard in his first at bat. But on SportsCenter, they called them Peanut Butter and Yelly. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that I'm going with that next year. Nice.
0: Uh, another pick that I really liked is that overlooked a little bit, Lorenzo Kane, who has been a very solid player for, for uh you know, the last several years and I think a lot of people thought he was one of the best signings of the offseason for the Brewers. But I'm looking at him his stats right now, he was the number fifty eighth ranked player, which is huge value for a player like that, who many people probably assumed was more of a, a speed guy, and he is more of a speed guy, but you know, some of his all-around stats, run scored, average, and on-base percentage are, are really strong this year. Do you remember when you when you got Kane? Just curious.
2: Uh, I, I think I took Kane somewhere in the the latter part of the—I took him in the
0: eighth round. Eighth round.
2: So after Matt Carpenter and before Cunha.
0: So that was, that was probably higher than a lot of us would have taken Kane, and he still overperformed uh, the predictions, so I don't know. I mean, w- would you take— where do you think you would you would rank Kane for next year? Would you take him in the top five rounds, or is that a little strong? I think he, he might be outside of the top five.
2: I mean, his on-base
0: percentage this year is 399.
2: Yeah. Uh, so that's clearly carrying wow. yeah, Ten home runs, 37 RBI aren't making you jump towards him. Uh, but hitting at the top of that lineup, I guess I just had a little bit of confidence in, in the Brewers this year uh, that their lineup was better, better ballpark. But I'll, I'll be honest, the reason why uh, I took – Guys like uh, Lorenzo Cain in the eighth round was because I was really nervous about the makeup of my team at that point in the draft. Um, I think that my, my power, not enough. I so I was nervous about power, but I was nervous about speed. I was nervous about everything. I, I just wasn't sure uh, the way that this was going to pan out. Um, I think that I got a lot of uh, I was had a lot of luck this year. Uh, I can't say that I called the, the Matt Carpenter. Uh, I took Matt Carpenter because I thought that my team was going to potentially, I wanted to win OBP was really the reason why I took a Matt Carpenter. I wanted him, Carlos Santana, just guys where I could mm-hmm. uh, set myself apart and on base percentage. And I think that did allow me to, to make some moves like the trade that we made, yep. um, you know, Joey Votto for Aaron Nola. I just was looking at my team at that point and I had a pretty comfortable lead in on base percentage, um, you know, for, we made that trade on June 18th. Uh, on June 18th, Joey Votto had six home runs and 32 RBI. And since we made that trade, he has uh, six more home runs and only 35 wow. RBI. Wow. So now his on base percentage is 420, but I didn't need that at that point. So yeah, I mean, I guess
1: that's a good question. Like at the time, you know, If you trade a player like Vado in June, you are accepting the risk that he will come back and have an incredible second half, especially Vado, because he does do that kind of thing. Um, But were you really concerned that there was something wrong with him?
2: I I mean, in the back of my mind, I knew that that could come back to bite me, but at that point in the season, I was pretty middle of the pack, uh, and I just wanted to try and spice things up, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Luckily, Nola did take that jump this year, um, and I think looking back on it, I probably could have made a bigger push for the DeGrom uh, in that trade, yep. but, I mean, uh, Noel finished just with an outstanding season, and, and that's part of the reason why, uh, I mean, he anchored my staff all year when, you know, I was expecting those guys to be Chris Archer and Carlos Martinez. I want to talk about those two players real quick. So, we, you know,
1: we talk about luck, but also, like, and luck affects everybody, but you can I feel like your strategy protects you, gives you a little Kevlar bar against against luck, because um, you you draft for purpose. You try to you recognize when you're like underweight in certain stats in the draft, and you make a push to, to pile those up as well. And that really paid off for you. With in our last podcast, we speculated that you. Brian, I guess that uh, you, know, you picked those players because they have really good strikeout numbers, accepting the risk that they might be a liability on, on averages. Is that is that right, or did you think that they were going to take a step forward this year?
2: I didn't really see a step forward, but if they were just what they were in the last two years, uh, I think that that's what I was hoping for, just high strikeout numbers uh, and you know, middle of the pack, ERA and Whip, so I could somewhat stay competitive in those categories. I uh, didn't turn out that way. Um, and those guys also historically have thrown a, a decent amount of innings. Um, and that's what I was hoping for of those two picks, accepting the risk. Now, I didn't necessarily think it would go the way that it did, uh, probably worse than expected, um, but was able to make up for it. Nola and you know, really Mike Fultonavich was a huge cop for my team this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. That was a good trade. Very well done. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the last pod, but it's just crazy to me how many of your players have had such incredibly good second halves. I mean, just running through your, your your offensive lineup, I mean, Acuna, Yelich, Carpenter, Turner, I mean, that's, it's hard to predict that kind of thing. But I mean, in my opinion, that's what really vaulted you to the top of the league is just, incredible second half offensive performance. Do you see it the same way?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, those guys just really were on fire. Uh, I think that when, when I look at my lineup, uh, the guys that I did take bets on, that Mateo and I talked about this the day after the draft. Uh, I said that if Kyle Schwarber and Yasmani Grandal could provide me 25 or 30 home runs, I think that I'd be in pretty good shape and they both are right in that range. Um you know the Vado pick didn't work out uh, as planned and, and traded him Rizzo, uh still in the top forty player, but maybe underwhelming, but um I think there there were just guys that had just absolutely insane second half. Even Luke
0: Voigt, a player who was probably on nobody's fantasy radar even a month ago. I mean yeah, this is a guy who's, who's got it on base over forty percent and has provided some good power numbers over the last month. I mean, it's hard to predict these things. Who's going to really turn on in the second half? And uh, I think I, I I struggle with that. You know, some players, I guess you could say, are second half players. But every year it seems like there's a new couple of couple of guys who really turn it on after the All Star break. Yeah, that's that's awfully impressive. That's a Very nice second
1: half. I mean, several of your players over the last thirty days are top top ten, top twenty. I mean, you have like basically nobody outside the top hundred. Pretty cool. So we have two games, two two days of games uh, left. You are
2: tied for first. How are you feeling? Do you think you'll come away with the championship? I I think it's very up in the air right now. I I think it's pretty clear of what where things can shift. you know, I've been trying to focus on like the things that I can control because I know that the other player, the other guys in our league and their teams, I uh, certainly can have an impact, but I try not to get too caught up in that. Um, I think that the, the clear areas where points can be made up are in strikeouts, um, and then managing uh, my ratios on the pitching side. As long as I don't have any blowups, I, I wouldn't not necessarily that I can gain points, but losing. You know, on know, and whip, in whip uh, there's a little cluster right there that, that could go poorly. I think on the hitting side that I'm pretty stable. Uh, I don't see anywhere where I could gain or lose points. Um, home runs, I have a 10, 10 home run lead, uh, runs 20, 20 run lead. So I don't see it there, but it's really the, the other teams um, yeah. Where you can do some damage. I mean, you really, I'm, I'm pulling for your, your pitchers uh, to maintain your ratios at the top against tight, tight, tight. Uh, RIP, RIP, OGS. Uh, he, he had four guys go last night, another four today. So he's been really picking, being active on the waiver wire. Yeah. Um, and I see what, you know, some of the moves that he's trying to make. Uh, so I'm really pulling for his pitchers too to uh, tighten down and not. Give you up know, put a ton of movement on, on those ratios um, you know, because we know that Brad's team, uh, while he can't uh, accumulate any more pitching stats, he can still move in the standings based on other people's performance. Now,
0: I, I just I want to interrupt here. I, I've been texting with Brad this morning, and I actually woke up to this, this text from him I want to share with you guys. He said to me, picked up an ERA point from OGS who was streaming pitchers that all bombed, and he did the prayer mm-hmm. hands emoji and then he says in all caps, there is a path to 90, maybe even 91, and that he's putting in a waiver claim for every starting pitcher on Sunday. So I think that's an interesting strategy I didn't think of because he, if he can keep you guys from starting some of these pitchers on Sunday by claiming them, I don't know if I should have revealed that, but uh, I, I just think that's an interesting strategy. <laughs> He's uh,
1: so smart, God damn it!
0: And here, here's another text I got from Brad. Uh, I asked him if he had a statement he wanted me to read uh, on the podcast, and he said, The categories to watch are stolen bases, RBIs, and Ks, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Seems like H Theresa the will pick up another point in Ks. In Teo, possibly half a point. So we will be 90, 89, and 88 after today. The key will be if I can somehow miracle a ton of RBIs and stolen bases to get to 90, 90.5 from 91. My prediction is H to the Rizzo, then me, then Teo finish. But I give myself a 25% chance. It's been a great season and an amazing finish. Unfortunately, my sister is getting married today, so I'll have to miss all of the games. So just thought that was a nice statement I, I wanted to share from, from Brad since we couldn't have him on the pod today.
1: Brad, if you're listening, I think you should really commit to your sister's wedding, not focus <laughs> on, on fantasy baseball. Just let the chips fall where they may. That was that was really interesting. Wow. What a great addition to the league. He Absolutely. I have not been watching closely enough. That is so smart.
0: And uh I just I think it's funny thinking about Brad at his sister's wedding, nervously checking his phone to see if Malik Smith got a stolen base in the fourth inning or, or whatever. So uh, yeah, I, I didn't want mean to interrupt your your interview with uh, H to the Rizzo, but just wanted to get the perspective of our of our other challenger right here. But he's absolutely
2: right. So stolen bases, where points can be made up? So at the top, there's not really a ton of movement, but Chris, where are you? So figure uh, filberts at 104, Brad has 101, you have 99, and then Glaber hardly newer and Bryce's writer at 97. So maybe not movement from the bottom of the top for those five teams, but within there, there certainly are points to be had. Uh, RBI, like Brad mentioned, uh, there's definitely possibility for some shake shakeup uh, and then the, the strikeout race. Uh, Teo, both you and I are going to surpass Justice League unless uh, every game gets rained out and they decide not to make them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, our race together could be pretty tight and be one that determines the lead, but there's also risk in just trying to pile up as many strikeouts as possible with your ratios. Yep, that's true. I didn't realize how close things have become on WIC for
1: me. Um, that's uh, Fortunately, it's not like four teams right behind me with 1.17, mm-hmm. but uh, that, that point
2: is critical. I mean, that
1: that could be the championship yeah. right there. Yeah, and I've been.
2: I was following R.I.P. O.G.S. in his strategy. Uh, He was streaming a bunch of guys last night, and it it didn't work out. And he did lose a point in ERA. Uh, He actually was. I think he was at three three seven to start last night, and now he's at three forty two. But he was making a push at quality starts. He's five behind Brad for the lead in quality starts. And if you look at the guys he had last night, I mean, no. yeah, he didn't, household any, names.
0: he didn't get any quality starts last night. Crazy. But if,
2: if you go to his team to look at his roster today, uh, and you look at the pitchers that he has going today, it's Verlander, Keikel Kershaw. Now, some of them are on his bench. So, all right, Ben, if you're listening, uh, check your lineup. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And, and the best part about you know this roto-style league is that even guys that are out of contention to win it can still make up for in, in categories and have a, a huge impact on how this finishes is out. Yeah, I mean, one thing I've been struggling with is, you know, obviously your best bet to uh,
1: pick up points in K's and quality starts, your best, sorry, your best bet to pick up points on the pitching side is to stream as many starters as you can get your hands on. But, you know, it's not like saves and holds are a done and dusted category. Like I have really been trying to balance that um, but, you know, I'm fending off a challenge from two teams. If I'd been able to pick up more, uh, saves and holds over the last couple of weeks and it my team has really just been quiet in that way, I might've had a couple of points in play, but, um, there is a, there is a trade off. So it's not like next year I'm going to let the same thing happen where it's like, well, now I can just do unlimited starting pitching, um, You want to be able to make a decision for yourself about where you're going to pick those points up, and for me, I don't really have that option.
0: So it's also fascinating. I'm I'm like getting nervous. I have no, you know, not a lot of consequence from what can happen for me, but I'm I'm getting nervous for you guys. Um, I can't wait until some of the games start uh, start today, just so we can follow every single stat.
2: It's gonna be very interesting. Uh, you have some pitchers on your bench. <laughs> and they're starting at one hundred and five. I don't know. If, uh, you thanks, thanks to add buddy. Some,
0: some in. Appreciate
1: that. Nice. All right, we take a second here to uh, all take a look at our teams. I'll uh, let to pick up alphabetical Robots again.
2: <laughs> Why do they have to be
1: angry? I was one o'clock on a Saturday. I thought that would be Sunday at
0: Awkward
1: mid-podcast fade out from music. <laughs> I'm good. Um, so, yeah, I think the uh, first the top 10 is going to be really interesting next year. Uh, Andrew makes a good point that like suddenly we went from having almost no we went from having almost no power speed combos to having guys who are like teetering on the brink of 40-40 seasons and then a handful of guys who can deliver uh 20 20, 20, 20 25
2: 25. Um, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you just think you have Jose Ramirez, Mookie Betts, Trout, Yelich, Harper, I mean, you can make the argument as a power speed, right? If he can find some of those stolen bases again in a, in a potentially a new environment. Uh, Lindor, Bregman, uh, Trey Turner, right? Sometimes, yeah, Ben Intendi, Trevor Story. Yeah. With, with Goldschmidt's stolen bases falling off, I think there's just less of those guys that you, know, you want that are just going to guarantee you 40 home runs but not right. give you stolen bases. It's
0: interesting to me that. Uh... You know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, you'd see some guys getting 60, 70, 80 stolen bases. Uh, they would really set themselves apart in fantasy baseball. But now, I mean, 43, Turner has the lead right now. So guys like Ramirez, Betts, et cetera, are not far behind the stolen base lead, you know, and they're still hitting huge amounts of home runs and on-base percentage, so... There's a, lot, a huge cluster of guys around about 30 stolen bases, but there's no, like, Vince Coleman or, or Ricky Henderson stealing 100 bases, and I don't know if that's something we'll ever really see again, but um, just interesting to me that some of these power guys are right, are right at the top as well. Yeah, uh,
1: I mean, I think we have to recalibrate going into next season. Uh, I think our big themes coming into this year was are you going to have – any pitchers who go 200, you're going to have more than you know. Just a couple pitchers who go 200 innings. Um, can you get D Gordon and Billy Hamilton and win stolen bases? Uh, and I feel like those conventions have completely blown up. Like we have a lot of new considerations. And honestly, like D. Gordon, Billy Hamilton, not really going to be on my radar going
0: into next year. No, Billy Hamilton, 33 steals this year. Uh, you know, which is less than you know, Whit Merrifield. In a on-base percentage of under 300, really provided up next to nothing in fantasy value this year. And I remember all of us were staying away from him, and for whatever reason, I you know started to feel, I guess, the the fear of missing out or whatever, and uh, jumped on on Hamilton. Kept him in my team pretty much the whole year, and that was a, a huge mistake. And I think that next year you might see Billy Hamilton undrafted or you know 25th round or, or whatever. I think his his ownership is going to go through the floor next season,
1: but you know he's a player everybody's going to have on their watch list anyway. Because even if that category becomes a little more robust and you can get some combos at the at the top of the draft, or like let's say you have nine or ten power, really good power speed combos, so everybody comes out of the first round with you know twenty home runs and twenty stolen bases. A player like that could still be a differentiator. I think it's still going to be a difficult category, just not quite as treacherous as what's going into 2018.
0: Well, um, moving along here, I see that in our outline, Teo has a question for H. Therizzo about how he's going to spend his winnings, which I thought was an interesting question. Um, Andrew, do you have any thoughts on that? How are you going to spend the money? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna buy the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're only worth, I think, $200 right now. So uh, if I won, I think that's how I would spend the winnings. Uh, if that's not possible, if the the bid is a little bit higher, I think it all starts. A, a foundation for young boys and girls who want to play fantasy baseball, but their parents are forcing them to play fantasy football. Uh, <laughs> look, I love fantasy football as much as the next guy, but fantasy baseball is just a whole other game. And everybody, you know, anybody can play fantasy football. Only true baseball fans really want to be a part of a competitive fantasy baseball league. Um, so I say that as a joke, but uh, fantasy baseball is just got a special place in, in, I think, all of our hearts.
1: F and A, Cotton, F and A. Uh, what do you think about, uh, so we talked about some of our observations for next year, you know, uh, top 10 is going to be very interesting. Um, well, how do you feel about the rules? I mean, we talked about, uh, last, last episode, we talked about maybe bringing the innings cap down a little bit, which would have a, have had a huge impact if we had done that for this season. Um, what what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah. Uh, the innings cap is so interesting. I, I don't know what that magic number is. Uh, you look at, there's, uh, in across our league, right, there's a bunch of guys that aren't really even going to get close. Um, and I think that it, it makes it difficult, right, when we have, the, the way that our waivers are set up, we talked about this, that you can't just pick guys up every single day mm-hmm. if, you know, you realize you're, you have, if, if you're looking at your projected innings pitched, and even if you're, like. Several a couple hundred behind what they're projecting to be. And even if you're six weeks out, like, it's pretty tough to make that up unless you're going to do a serious just turnover of your roster. And with six weeks to go in the season, you might not be willing to do that. Yeah. Um, now, I, I think that our waivers are great the way it is in our a, a Brodo League. It's It'd be tough to allow people to pick players up on a daily basis. Um, whereas in a head-to-head league, I think that makes more sense. We, t- we had that conversation earlier this week. Yeah. Um yeah, if we did have a different innings cap, if it was lower or higher, I think that'd be have a huge impact on the way the races is going right now. Um, I think that's the
1: most likely thing to change for next year. Um, You know, I like being an OBP over batting average. Uh, I like quality starts over wins and saves and holds, but the innings thing, like I think we could get a lot of value yeah, making some adjustments there,
0: you know, I, I guess that the, the cliche is uh, don't, don't fix it if it's not broken. And this uh, season has been so awesome, it's hard for me to make an argument for changing something to make the league better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the innings cap is interesting, and you know, if you if you lower it to 1500 maybe, um, that, that that could be interesting, but it's just gone so well and it's been so exciting these last couple weeks. I, I would need to hear a pretty strong argument uh, in favor of a a rule change to to consider it right now. Good point.
2: I agree. I don't know. know, Is it 50 innings more 50 innings less is 50 there right now? I I think it would just be so hard to make that argument. Yeah. Um, And thank God we're not going to win. People may have seen this. This was shared in our baseball slack room. Uh, Just talking about the drama and how incredible his season was and how weak the Mets were when he – Took the mound, uh, and I don't know if this is 100 percent correct, but this was tweeted by a guy named Retire Number Five, uh, and he said that if the Mets had scored four runs in each of the Grom starts this season, he'd be 30 and 0.
0: That's insane. If they scored
2: three runs in each of his starts; he'd be 25 and one. And if they had scored just two runs in each of his starts, he'd be 20 and six. That's incredible. I, I saw that
1: tweet, and my first reaction was like, holy shit, it's a really entertaining comment. I, I love that he put it out there. I question the methodology a little yeah, bit, but totally. still, like, it's undeniably true that if the starting pitcher doesn't give up more than three yeah. runs in any start in a single season.
2: And you're right, you know, because you, you don't, he wasn't pitching nine innings in all of those games, right. uh, so you have no idea, but just to, to have some validity to that is just absolutely insane. I saw him pitch against Severino at Yankee Stadium in the Subway Series in August, the, the makeup game, um, and he was actually not at his best that game. I think he gave up two or three runs, but he struck out eleven batters. It was just absolutely insane. Yeah, I
1: I got to see Degrom Degrom's final start. Uh, got great tickets. Um, bought them early, so they weren't expensive. But I was about fifteen rows back from home plate and. Uh, He's just a—he's a really special talent. I mean, a uh, thing I didn't know about him is that in the last couple months or so, his batting average is like three fifty or something. Really? Like I, he's doing everything he can wow. to with his team up. Uh, it's just an amazing effort. So I think that MVP conversation should be happening
0: now. I'm looking at our top pitchers for the year, and uh, Degrom is the fourth overall player, regardless of position. Scherzer is seventh, Verlander tenth, Sale twelfth, Snell fifteenth, Nola nineteenth. So those are your top six pitchers. Um, are you taking Degrom in the first round next year? If if you have a say, you're the seventh pick overall. Would you consider Degrom?
1: Um, well, we talked about this as well before the podcast. I have a thing. I have a bit of a